Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Kyle Berry. I am here with Bob Petrie, serial entrepreneur, vast experience across multiple startups, enterprise organizations, but uh, currently stationed as a leader within Citibank, uh, specifically heading up the D10X team within City Ventures. Bob, thanks for joining. Uh, my pleasure. Absolutely. So I, I figure we would just start. Um, I think we'd love to hear a little bit of the background. How did you come to be a leader within within the city team? So I had been doing the startup thing for quite some time, spent 18 years in the startup community. I had co-founded two companies and was an early chief operating officer or chief product officer of another five or so. So I did the startup cycle, startup, get acquired, work for the acquiring company for a while, and then go off and do another thing. Uh, and as anybody that's been in a startup knows, that is hard work. Uh, it's the grind. Um, and at some point, I realized that I just couldn't do another startup. Uh, so City Ventures hired me to inject my entrepreneurial mindset and my entrepreneurial skill set into their corporate innovation program, which is called D10X. Um, and uh, my, you know, and all honestly, I intended to stay there anywhere between 12 and 18 months to kind of recharge and then go off and do another startup. Uh, but somewhere along the way, I became enamored of corporate innovation. Uh, and so I, uh, I made that stint, uh, a long-term stint, and I now run the North America region uh, for the innovation program called D10X. You know, it's funny. I, <laughs> being at a couple startups myself, um, I've, I've popped back and forth between you know, focusing on it with enterprise companies and then working with startups. And I, I swear the startups just take years off your life. Like they really do. I mean, there's nothing more exciting, I think sometimes and more energizing, but at the end of the time you're spent, like you are, you can be just done and you just need that. Okay. I just need to not take on so much anymore and be a little bit more focused, a little bit more direct in what it is that I want to do going forward. Right. Um, and you're right. Sometimes it's just a break to go back. But I think you and I are on that same level where I just know that I love the enterprise level. I love the organization, the largeness of it. Um, I love the impact it can have across, even though sometimes they take a little bit longer. Um, but I just, for some reason, it fits my style. So um, I think we're on that same thing. You know, you and I talked a little bit about... Um, that first year within city and you just mentioned you mentioned you know 12 to 18 months maybe falling in love with it but you've mentioned it as a learning experience and kind of the way that when you came in it was okay we, we wanted to approach business where you had a mission statement for d10x and what you wanted to do how did that evolve what were some of those learning experiences you know just getting into that larger organization Citibank as a as a whole but then like some specifics around what it is that you learned that changed the way you approach your business now? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question. And I, I've, ref, I've reflected a lot on this. Um, when Before I joined, it was kind of sold to me that it would be like doing startups inside a city. And I'm like, that's great that I get to do my thing and do it in this environment that is more like predictable and stable and maybe less of a grind. And I realized within a couple of months that it wasn't that at all. 
uh, that it was an entirely different animal. Even though I use the same tools and the same approach and mindset, you know, I thought about lean startups and I did MVPs and things like that. The fact that I'm inside this structure, very risk averse, highly regulated organization, it was just a new, unique thing. Uh, and so it took me a little while to figure out how do I find that sweet spot where I get to kind of think and act like an entrepreneur, uh, but I do it tied to this kind of greater thing in a totally different environment. Uh, and so I did kind of learn a lot of lessons along the way. Uh, the biggest one that I learned is that uh, when I joined, the program was going through a fairly major transformation. Um, it, you know, in the early days, it was highly focused. And I think this is the case with a lot of corporate innovation programs, highly focused on kind of uh, building the energy and building the mindset and building the culture and building the vocabulary of innovation. And so we did a lot of like lean startup things. We did a lot of ideation exercises. We yep. did a lot of design thinking stuff. Um, but we recognize that if you just stay there, you're never really spitting out the uh, the unicorns that, you know, a, a company as large as City wants to build. And as a result, it takes a different type of practice. Uh, and so that was kind of transformative to me uh, to know that there was there was something more that had to be added to the program. Uh, and so we uh, we've spent a lot of time over the past few years focused on, well, how do you budget for corporate innovation? How do you align corporate innovation with the greater business unit and be close enough that it's aligned with their strategy, but far enough that you can kind of think maybe differently or orthogonally? Um, so, uh, so we spent a lot of time kind of figuring out what that, that right model is. Um, another big learning is that like you're never really done. It seems like every six months we're kind of reinventing what the program needs to be because as our stakeholders change inside the business, as do we. Right. So as the, the strategic interests of Citibank changes, then the innovation program has to change as well. So we're constantly kind of recalibrating and redefining how it is we work and how do we define success. Well, I think it's interesting when people think about startups versus a large organization like a Citibank or any any financial institution, they think it's slow moving, not a lot happens, they're kind of behind the times. And that's not necessarily, it is true to a point, but I don't think people realize actually how quickly things can change. Priorities, shifts in business, trying to, uh, to uh, basically evolve on their new things. And so people are always shifting into new responsibilities. Budget is constantly moving and adapting to what the environment is or whatever else. I mean, and we've seen that over the last, you know, number of years, but also in the most recent with COVID, a massive shift in the way budgets are spent, how priorities are, are organized and, and prioritized. Um, but I think that's a big misnomenclature for people that have been in the startup world and think, oh, well, I'm not going to go into this because it's slow moving and I'm not going to get anything done. That's not really true. You just have to actually react a lot quicker, I think, sometimes as a venture person because you need to align to what those businesses are going to do, right? You've got to stay in the know on top of it as to wait. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything done, right? And yeah, that's kind of. I'd say like that word is really important. The idea of speed and time is really different. Uh, because people think that like you're fast as a startup and when you go into a corporate environment that you are slowed down. And I think, what well, you know, this hyper fixation on the speed of innovation is the wrong focus uh, because, you know, um, uh, like the, you know, our goal is not to get things done faster. Right. Like, you know, when you think about the interests of a company like Citibank, um, they're really focused on de-risking things. 
So it's not necessarily that they need to move super fast, but like when they approach new things, they have to do it in a way that is kind of de-risked. Uh, so I think I add more value as a corporate innovator by attacking these opportunities and de-risking them before the business gets too involved in them, rather than attacking them and moving fast. Because I am hyper-dependent upon a lot of processes that are kind of outside of my control. Uh, and I can't make those stakeholders move faster just because I want to move faster. Uh, so we've really defined, you know, had to redefine like where our focus is and how we add value. Uh, and our attention to speed is different. However, you're right. Like there are some things that can move really fast within a corporate environment. So, for example, I worked on one project um, and um, instead of solving a city problem, it turns out we needed to solve an industry problem. And the second that it became an industry problem, I had to be able to kind of connect with people outside of city. Um, and when I'm a startup and, you know, I'm, I'm a company of five people and nobody knows our name and we have no brand and I call up people, it's hard to get attention. But, you know, when I drop the uh, a call and I'm from City Ventures, all of a sudden, like that phone call gets picked up a heck of a lot faster than it did when I was a startup guy. Uh, it's and amazing so, how so, quickly people will uh, pick up the call, want to talk. Oh, I, you're, I'm all ears, right? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so, so those things actually move faster inside of city because of that, uh, that, that benefit of having brand and having weight and gravitas and subject matter expertise um, that it takes potentially years to build inside of a startup. Uh, so, again, I, I, I try not to kind of fixate on the fast thing, um, and I try to kind of fixate on, like, how does innovation add value to city? And that's going to be different this year than it is next year or last year, especially with the impact of COVID. And it's going to vary from one bank to the next or one industry to the next. So I think it's really important to really figure out the, the value proposition of an innovation program. So I just to kind of to touch on that you mentioned risk is such a huge thing right i mean that is what banks are trying to do is 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 lower the risk factor and that could be across anything right i mean risk all the way from you know security uh how they move money how things are transferred to the type of people they're lending to the type of loans they're issuing whatever that risk may be is that how you're aligning with your business teams and the, and the lines of business within city or their financial implications? Is it, is it, a, is it mainly as a business aspect or is it say even a technical aspect? Like when you create your plan to go to them, the problems, you identify the problem statement, you go internally to get your buy-in. How are you best aligning to them when you're creating that structure of say, or format of say your, your pitch? Yeah, I think the, the answer is probably to some extent all of the above. Uh, and so my goal as uh, the leader within an innovation program, I want to make this corporate asset available to all of my business stakeholders. And the first thing I've got to know is where are they um, and what's important to them based on the initiatives that they have in play. Sometimes the answer is a technology one. So some business stakeholders are being um, impacted by the disruption in things like distributed ledger technology or artificial intelligence or machine learning or NLP. Um, and it's that that I potentially add the most value, helping them kind of understand how they can embrace those technologies differently. Uh, in some cases, it's more of like business model disruption that's going on. You know, as the industry moves from like deal-based revenues to subscription-based revenues, how do I help them connect with different business models? Um, and in that case, you know, technology May not play kind of the same uh, the same uh, thing uh, you know the same role. Um, uh, in other cases, it is like truly de-risking. 
that maybe there's a lot of different ways to go about solving a problem. Um, and I want to potentially throw five small bets in five different solutions and figure out which solution begins to stick. And as a result, then I'm going to double down on the ones that are working and just kill off the ones that are not. And as a result, I'm de-risking all of this variability and complexity in the problem space. Uh, so it's really important. I almost feel sometimes that I've got to, you know, leverage, uh, you know, even before my startup career, I was in a consultancy. I've almost got to like leverage this consultant mindset to try to figure out who my client really is and how do I add the most value before I say, this is my innovation process. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way to look at it, right? You're not, your client is internal city, right? I mean, that's how I always see it as, as a venture or an innovation team. Like you are here to work for the bank and how do you get them out of your clients are the lines of business how do you get them into position to be better or more innovative than the rest right uh to be a leader uh in certain areas perhaps it's a fast follower and others um and others is just hey we're coming back to that de-risking we're already i'm already doing the homework for you the research to make sure that this line of business doesn't go down this path because i don't think it's or we've already proven it's not the right path for us so I, I think you're right. I mean, you've mentioned a few. Can you elaborate on a success that maybe has been pretty prudent for you? Yep. I, and, and I think, uh, let me just um, clarify one thing. I, I do believe that like my business stakeholders inside of, um, or the relationship I've got with the business stakeholders inside a city is hypercritical. Um, but together, like we always have to not have an eye towards the fact that cities and clients is the ultimate recipient of the value that we create in innovation customer program. My customer, yeah, it absolutely. Is, it is really hard to maintain that. Like as like we're doing this dance to figure out how do we add value and how do we align to your business. Like it's always important to keep front and center the fact that we're ultimately trying to solve our client's problem, uh, or you know you know seize an opportunity on behalf of our client. So we 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 uh, we, we leverage a number of different techniques. Some of them I mentioned: this lean startup approach, the design thinking approach, uh, jobs to be done. Another tool that really helps us remain centered on our client's problem. Um, so that's the, the nature of uh, the, the challenge of, of keeping externally faces faced, even though there are a lot of kind of internal lot challenges and alignments. Um, I do want to kind of uh, share one. I, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I want to touch on that design thinking. Um, but if you have a success that you want to talk about or something that specific that you feel like, you know, is, is prudent here, let me know. Sure, sure. So let me uh, let me start with a uh, a success story. Uh, so this is a publicly available success story. Um, it came out of our custody business. Um, so one of the um, uh, there were two folks. Uh, one of, one of the ways our program works is that a lot of uh, there are a lot of great ideas in the field. So there are just employees inside of these organizations that just are are asking themselves, why don't we do this better? Uh, a good example of this are two guys from uh, our custody business um, that uh, looked at the way that. Um, uh, businesses do proxy voting, right? And if you think about how proxy voting works from a shareholder perspective, it's highly paper-driven and highly manually intensive. Um, and they looked at this and said, there's got to be a better way, right? Um, and so they, they said, hey, why don't we um, kind of focus on uh, doing this in a digital fashion? How do we apply technology in a way that makes it easier um, and better for shareholders to kind of register their votes uh, for uh, for this prox proxy voting 
um, process. Um, and so over time, we started this as a kind of a small project. They were spending 20% of their time. We assigned a part-time entrepreneur in residence, and they attacked this as if it were a new business. And over time, they began kind of developing success. They validated it in the marketplace. They talked to clients. Uh, they talked to stakeholders. Uh, and eventually, it turned out to be a, uh, a great business for City to Back. Um, and it ultimately, in the spring of this year, got announced uh, that it was spun out as an independent company. And again, this wasn't just a city problem. This was an industry problem. Everybody was doing it this way. Uh, so that now there's a company called Proximity uh, that uh, came out of this incubation process uh, that was steeped first in a client problem, you know, dealing with the complexities of this manual and paper-driven process. Uh, and it's now a, uh, an independent company uh, of which city owns a, uh, a piece. So tell me, so what was, what was, I mean, it sounds like the problem statement is pretty clear, right? You just had it, it's too cumbersome. You mentioned manual, a lot of paper trail, right? This is that effort, the continual effort, I think, not just in finance or banking, but the move from uh, physical to digital, right? Um, and within this proximity um, platform, you're offering, like you said, not just something for city, but also for the kind of, industry, right? And it doesn't it doesn't sound like it even necessarily needs to be for financial institutions or banks, but could be used across other areas in which there are voting rights and things like that that you need to uh, secure in. How does, do you, when is the point at which you approach, hey, this isn't just a city issue. We actually want to spin this off and make it a larger industry thing. And that's kind of yeah, one part so of the two part question. Yeah. So, so the first answer, you, you know, the even though I said that um, the corporate innovation game is kind of different than the startup game, it does share a lot of similarities. Um, and and a major one is you never really know where you're going to end up, right? You start on this thing, you've got a hypothesis, you think this is the right thing to do. I mean, isn't that the that, fun of it? <laughs> isn't totally, that kind of the totally, fun of it? You just never totally. know, right? <laughs> And it's not until like you're talking to clients and you're looking at this problem from a market perspective and from a like even asking the question, why is it so manually intensive? Right. Like it's so easy to say, well, it's paper. It should be digitized. But there's a, a there's a reason why, you know, it's been paper and manually intensive for a very long time. And there's just been like it's a, a really large old industry. Uh, and there are a lot of things that were preventing it from from moving digital. Um, so uh, so it took us a while to kind of figure out what those dynamics were and then what the right solution for that industry problem was. And at that point in time, we said, you know what, um, if we do it as just a city solution, we're only going to be able to impact this part of the ecosystem that's required to really change. Uh, and that's when we kind of flipped it and said, well, what if this were an external thing? And that's when we kind of looked at the path of, uh, of spinning it out. Um, uh, a funny story is like, despite the fact that this narrative says that it was steeped in the proxy voting thing, uh, in order to solve the proxy voting thing, we, uh, we did digitize it. Uh, but as the team was building this solution, uh, the EU came out with something called SRD2, Shareholders Rights Directive I guess, number two, a regulation that said that companies had to communicate more effectively with their shareholders. Right. And these guys were like, hey, I think we just built a platform that allowed you know, companies to communicate more effectively. And all of a sudden, their, yep. their very focused proxy voting thing became compliance with SRD2 for all of the EU companies. 
right? And so that, that was another kind of set of energy that actually uh, allowed it to kind of really gain wings and get spun out with even more energy than it had in the first place. You know, sometimes timing, just foreseeing what the future holds. I mean, sometimes those things just line up so well that it's kind of a serendipitous, right? That you're bringing this solution out and then all of a sudden the EU, which is a huge market and to me actually fairly advanced in terms of payments, uh, digitization, everything else, how they do things, um, especially specifically like, um, you know, uh, data security and such. They're just a little bit more advanced for them to come out right when you're bringing this out. I mean, very fortuitous, right? Um, yeah. Did you have something in the back working? Did you know? Did you have your crystal ball out saying, hey, <laughs> that's what we need to do? Or um, That's awesome. So when you're thinking about, you know, that actually leads me into, I think we were going to talk a little bit about fintechs, the industry. How do, how do you guys partner with them? What's the investment versus the, the maybe purchase or buy versus, hey, we want to talk and partner with you. With proximity specifically, you push it out as a, part or a subsidiary, I would imagine. Is it a subsidiary or is it is it a uh, investment by city? It is an independent company of which okay. we own a minority shareholder position. Minority position. Yep. So sometimes I've seen those and that not necessarily born from the bank itself, but there's other startups out there that uh, financial institutions have actually invested in or made big bets on, right? How do you see that working? Not necessarily in the industry itself, but did you see any, maybe perhaps a, uh, because it was being born from city, other banks being kind of like, uh, we don't necessarily want them to know, or, or is there conflicts of interest there? Do you ever see that or find that based on how much a bank ingests or invests in startups or fintechs? Yeah, yeah so, so when we talk about our, our competition, the, the first important thing to note uh, is that C being a highly regulated organization will never risk anything that even like smells like antitrust. So the first thing we do is get the legal framework in place to make sure that the thing that we're exploring, we're doing in the right way, uh, that our regulators kind of uh, approve of and will uh, uh, will weigh in positively on. Uh, so we uh, that, that's a really important element of any time that we look externally. Um, but we recognize that the uh, the world has changed dramatically for incumbent financial services um, companies. Uh, it used to be that when a company had a financial need, they would come to us and we would service their need. Uh, but what we're finding is that the, uh, the marketplace is so much more complicated now that there are folks that are not in banking that are getting close to providing banking services. And so rather than wait uh, for folks to come to us, we know that we've got to leave our office and get in the marketplace. We've got to inject ourselves into these ecosystems. We've got to be industry participants and not just a bank that people come to. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think at one point it was like kind of the, the old fashioned way is that all of these fintechs are building up and trying to kind of compete with us and we've got to compete yeah. against them. Um, but again, going back to that whole design thinking mentality, when we look at what the, the true client problem is, sometimes the right solution is to collaborate with fintechs and you know, do a best of breed. Fintechs are generally great at attracting you know, technical talent uh, or, and are faster moving and can take risks that we cannot as a bank. Whereas we bring to the table brand and reputation and regulatory practice, and you put those two things together and sometimes that's exactly what the client needs and that's what the client wants. So why not look at it as a collaboration rather than kind of a competition? 
No, I think you're right. So we, That's definitely a shift that we've seen in the past 10 years or so, right? I think it's something where fintechs were starting up and people were scared. Banks were running a little bit on the on the defensive, uh, whether it was PayPal or Venmo's or anything else, you know, the creation of Zelle. Um, you know, you had this kind of defensive manner where I actually think it's been the innovation venture groups that have brought it to the banks now going, look, these don't have to be our enemies. These can be our friends. These can be our partners. We can utilize them to accelerate what we have. Because in all honesty, it's it's very difficult to get a banking charter. There's There's a lot of tech companies out there that have tried to become or looked at, hey, can I get it? Can I be a you know, the challenger bank, right? Um, but have been denied or have looked at it and go, you know, that's really actually not the way that we want to go. Um, we don't want to be an organization like that. And I think what we're seeing because of that, we've seen fintechs move in more of a very specific standpoint where they're not trying to create all of these different services, all these different financial advantages or anything else. They're becoming very specialized and going, look, um, we specifically offer this API or we specifically offer this little experience. And that gives, I think, banks the opportunity to say, look, we, there's some things that we don't do well, but what we do well is the fact that we have, like you said, the reach, the name, the base, the platforms, and all the rails in which we can now offer these services and create a better ecosystem for our consumers. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so uh, the program that I co-lead is D10X. It's inside of City Ventures, um, but there's another group within City Ventures called the Venture Investing Team, um, and they uh, they're strategic investors. Uh, so they act very much like a, a VC putting money inside of external companies. Uh, but like I'm blowing blown away by how brilliant these guys are not only making great investments in great companies, but at the same time trying to figure out how that company can either solve a city a, a city problem or a problem of city's clients. And so they do, you know, they, they do almost like um, in parallel a great investment and what we call commercializing inside of city yep. to try to solve those problems. Uh, they're really brilliant at it. They've been doing it for a, uh, a while. Um, so I'd say that they are uh, best in class in uh, strategic investors. And so we collaborate very effectively and very often because when, when I'm trying to kind of build a new thing, the first thought I have is, has it already been solved? Is there a technology or a partner on the marketplace that I could bundle into solution for my yep. business stakeholders? Build versus and buy. A, one of the oldest kind of yeah, you know exactly. mantras. Like if it's let's not let's not continue to reinvent the wheel here. There's a lot of opportunity out there, and it's probably done been done a little bit better than we could do internally, right? Um, so that makes sense. I get it. Yeah. Um, tell me, you've been, you've mentioned design uh, thinking a little bit. Talk to me about that. It, you can have it specific to proximity. You can break it out into other things you're working on. But how are you approaching design thinking? And, and is it a little different than kind of a traditional model? Yeah, it's, it's definitely different. Um, and so uh, if you look at my career, I've, uh, I've vacillated between uh, both B2C environments as well as B2B environments. Um, uh, and when I'm stuck in a, a B2C thing, I think practices like design thinking and jobs to be done and even just broadly user experience design are the keys to building great businesses. Um, on the B2B side, and that's where I am now, I support cities institutional client group, which is uh, business to business banking or large transactional banking rather than consumer banking. Um, and so despite the fact that uh, these tools are still really valuable, 
um, translating them into kind of B2B environments uh, takes a little artistry, right? So, uh, so anytime that you go through something like design thinking or jobs to be done training, it's always hyper focused on kind of consumer models. Like the classic one for jobs to be done is uh, the milkshake. And they do that because it's, re every, it's universal. Everybody is built you know, or bought a McDonald's milkshake. Um, and it's really good to understand the principles. But then when you get into a highly complex ecosystem B2B financial services play, where like we're running on these financial rails that are highly complex, it's hard to translate those things. So oftentimes I use those tools as a way to get people hyper fixated on the concept that the client is the most important thing. We should always be thinking about what the client's problem is. Uh, in our case, some of these clients are the biggest companies in the world and their organizational structure is so complicated that there isn't a client. There is a handful or a dozen different clients that have different interests that we've got to the figure out. Stakeholders, the amount of stakeholders just exponentially increases, right? When you're talking yeah. about those large businesses. I mean, do you feel, do you find that that's the largest hurdle that you face when you're doing B2B. I think, you know, to me, when I think about the differences between B2B and B2C, you know, I, I, forgive me if I, if I speak out of turn, but B2B, I feel like it's a little bit more specific in terms of like the experience, right? You don't have to offer everything. There are specific ways that you can make, create products to deliver in the way that a customer, a, a business customer uses those products. Whereas if you're going B2C, the individual consumer just wants 95 million different ways to do something. Um, and, and for me, when I look at experiences and creating them, that is a big difference that I see from a B2C product to a B2B product. But, you know, that's, again, that's thinking a little bit towards the down the line. How do you, what are the biggest challenges? Is it because of all the stakeholders that are involved? Is it because of the technology? Like, what is it that you constantly see? Yeah, so uh, the, the way I think of it is in a, a classic B2C um, solution or product, um, you know, the experience plays a fairly large percentage of the product management undertaking. Uh, in a B2B sense, especially in something that's as complex as some of the financial products that we're kind of dealing with, uh, there's a lot more that's kind of hidden underneath. Right. Yeah. And so I almost think of it as a, you know, in B2B, it's kind of like an iceberg where there's a lot of stuff that is visible uh, and there's a lot of user experience designed to be done and the interface has got to be great. But there is such a mass of thing that's sitting underneath that water that requires you to get at that stuff with potentially different tools. Right. And the vocabulary you use and the way that you model that complexity and the way that you communicate, you know, the, uh, the, the, the stories and the product roadmap and how you use tools like agile development to attack that. It's just a little bit different. Uh, so it's really important to have people that are steeped in uncovering that type of complexity that sits below the surface uh, in order to kind of move that, uh, that product along, not just from a user's point of view, but from a business's point of view. So is that, is that involve just a lot of interviewing? Is that involving talking to all the different stakeholders, the individuals? Is it a lot of architecture? How are you addressing that? Yeah, uh, so it's all of the above. Um, and it does take a kind of a, maybe a different class of product manager um, that's got, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot more facets to them um, and that uses a, a number of different tools in order to communicate 
that complexity to the right stakeholder. So when we're talking to a DevOps person, you know, it's different uh, than if we're just doing a consumer app. If we're talking to a security or privacy or, you know, a regulator or uh, an application developer or a stakeholder or a user, right? It's like this reinterpretation of what this thing is. Um, you know, the, the classic example is, you know, when you, you've got an elephant and you've got a whole bunch of blind people touching the elephant, their experience is entirely different. Uh, in a B2B sense, that elephant is really complicated and there are so many different facets to it uh, that it does take a, a really solid product management team to really understand the elephant and communicate the elephant when they, when they need to. Makes sense. Yeah, you kind of have to dip into your tool bag back, you know, think on your consultative days back in the day and just pull that to the front and let that kind of just pour out again, right? Um, yeah. That really is what it comes down to. Okay, all right, fantastic. Let's go back to design thinking. I want to know a little bit more. Talk, I, I always think about design thinking, or uh, you've mentioned this a few times, the, the JT, just to, um, sorry, if I get the acronym wrong, JTBD. So it's just, what is it again? Jobs to be done. Jobs to be done. So I look at that as kind of how I learned value stream mapping, right? And, and you understand what is the problem, then you identify and then you map everything to these individual uh, problem sets and then prioritize, okay, what is it that we can hit off first? How do we get those completed? And what is the, what's the roadmap look like? I mean, what, are there some differences there? Are there some things that you are specifically within your team that you take on? Um, you always mentioned a different approach to agile. What's your different approach? Yeah. Uh, so, so starting with the, uh, the the jobs to be done thing, and I think design thinking has a, kind of a similar thing. Um, you know, the, the classic example of jobs to be done is that uh, when somebody buys a drill bit, they don't really want a drill bit. They want the hole that the drill bit can provide. So what they're really doing is like they're hiring the drill or the drill bit to get the hole that they need. Um, and when you uh, kind of are sitting inside of a, um, a financial services company, it's really easy to think that the product that your client wants is a small business loan. But nobody really wants a loan. What they want <laughs> is to expand their operation or they want uh, to kind of buy more raw materials because they've got a big uh, you know order coming up uh, and so like the, the jobs to be done thing and the design thinking says like, let, let's position it as like is the client that's like getting a loan in order to expand differently than the client that is buying it to get through COVID right uh, and the answer is absolutely and resoundingly yes Right. So like one small business loan does not um, uh, equal the next one. Uh, and so like we use these tools to try to get out of like the way that we think about our products and try to kind of do it from the point of view of uh, of our clients. Uh, and so th those those techniques always work uh, to kind of flip that mindset. Um, the question is, like, once you've done that, like, what do you do with that mindset? Right. Like, how do you deliver a product that's different uh, for somebody that's going through expansion rather than weathering a storm? Uh, and a lot of that has to do with like that qualitative research that we do up front uh, to better understand what the nature of their needs are. How do they vary? Like, does one project or product suffice? Um, and so we uh, we just do a lot of a lot of traditional classic uh, discovery type stuff before we get too far into the kind of the solutioning.
uh, because that is also a, a universal, regardless of whether you're inside of a corporation or outside in the startup, the natural tendency will be to jump to solution. Um, and the longer that you stay steeped in the client problem, understanding that from all perspectives, that's when you really kind of deliver the killer product. Um, and the second that you just jump to solution, um, you know, you're probably missing something and going on too many hypotheses that are untested, unproven or unexplored. Yeah, I think that's sometimes when you start to, you know, people think about, you know, thinking outside the box or expanding your mind, thinking a little bit too far down the road, right? There are problems to be fixed right in front of you and you need to figure out that, that delicate balance of how do we keep the long picture in play while checking things off on these short-term wins and experiences, yeah. right? Um, yeah, the phrase, the, phrase, the phrase we use for that, that I, I try to kind of inculcate in everybody that gets attached to the program, we want people to think big and act small, right? We want people to have big vision, right? Like we're not looking to just extend an existing product with a, a new feature, um, there's a need for that, but that's not necessarily what the, the charter of an innovation program is. An innovation program should be thinking big right, and thinking bold and audacious. But uh, we also don't want to fall into those normal traps of you know, thinking so big that it's, it's hard to move. Right? Uh, so we say, all right, think big, but uh, you know, figure out where we're going to start. Like, what is that MVP um, that's going to test our most significant hypotheses? Like, how do we just get that thing out into the market? Now, in, uh, you know, outside of uh, a large company, uh, it's far easier to get things into market. And so people start coding and putting it there and seeing what happens. We don't have the same facility as a corporate innovation program. Even one line of code in the hand of a user um, has to go through the right procedures. They have to be uh, ensured that it doesn't create any undue risk for city. And so the cost of getting something out is kind of different for us than it is for a startup. And that's one of the things that we have to kind of operate around um, and uh, and deal with as we talk about things like moving quickly, right? Uh, it's just different for us than it is for a startup. Yeah, but I mean, those those barriers are set up for good reason, right? I mean, this is consumer's money, what we're talking about, not just the risk of city, but this is actual people. This is real people in the real world, right? And they have consequences. I think sometimes, and this is not to... To, to talk you know about negatively about startups, but sometimes those walls they are not there for startups, but they are there for these banks for good reason. We have there's there's too much risk involved when you're talking about consumers and what they have in the bank and the investment, the businesses that are attached to everything else. You need those barriers uh, for for uh, what is it bad worse or you know in between. Um, those things are what keep everything safe. Yeah. So you know yeah, we, for me, I, it's something I've always appreciated. And that, that's a myth that I also uh, I, I try to bust as often as I can. Uh, it's often thought that the innovation program uh, looks at things like regulation and governance and control partners as on the opposite side of the table, that we're trying to kind of push through or fight them or look at them as they're, they're trying to slow down. Um, I find that our control partners are our biggest allies. You know, the more we talk to them, the more we understand their point of view, the better off uh, we are going to be, the better off our clients are going to be. And we're going to deliver a better product by incorporating their point of view from the beginning, because it's not just about the company, the business and the client. It is this point of view of the regulators to make sure we're doing it the right way, because we do take that that trust and that faith that our clients put in us really seriously. 
right? And if we don't consider that from the beginning, um, we're, we're doing them a disservice. Um, and it really is a I control partner that kind of almost like keep us honest and kind of give us that point of view that we don't necessarily have as innovators that are thinking big and audacious. You know, they're the ones that give us the rails uh, within which we can operate. Uh, yep. so, uh, so, so, so we find them to be uh, great partners in the innovation thing, uh, not necessarily an impediment, but a, uh, a value add from the beginning. No, I think, you know, it's something that I think is top of mind for a lot of people, right? I mean, no one wants to sit there and feel like they have to hide their money under their mattress. They want to be able to trust these institutions that have been there to still continue to be there and to hold their money and to feel secure about it. That's something that we need to keep the confidence at, at the, as high as we can. Um, and to me, that's it's just a really important part, especially when you're talking the last few years about the different breaches, security aspects. You know, you've got uh, not just antitrust, but you also have, you know, data security issues where people are trying to figure out Facebook and Twitter and, and everything that goes into these different platforms and, and venues where, again, you want to make sure that people feel confident in where they're putting their money at the end of the day. So I yeah. hate that. As you know, I guess elephant in the room is thinking about you know design thinking. You're looking at uh, you've you've released things like proximity. Um, how is the bank and specifically your group approaching COVID, approaching a post-COVID world? And we can take that and be a little bit more optimistic about post-COVID. But what does 21 look like for you, and specifically in post-COVID? And to me, what's interesting is, you know, it's impacting the consumer, but again, the business to business is an enormous impact because of consumer buying habits, the way things are changing. How are you approaching that right now? Yeah, so, so there's the, the, the micro and the macro impact of COVID. Uh, firstly, um, from a, a micro perspective, like we as an innovation team have to think differently uh, about doing our innovation thing remotely. Um, you know, the, the tools, the techniques, we used to be able to get people in the room with a, a bunch of sticky notes uh, and kind of do these ideation events uh, and just trying to figure out how do you translate activities like that um, kind of online. Uh, or we used to do what we call drive-bys. If we had a stakeholder that we hadn't heard from, we'll just stop by their, uh, their desk and say, hey, you know, top <laughs> of mind. be there. Yeah, they're always right. there. Yeah, you know, um, and, and now it's, it's hard to do drive-bys. So how do you reinvent the drive-by? Uh, so we spent months trying to figure like out. I would drive-by these days, honestly. Right. I kind of miss the drive-bys. You know, you hate them when they were around, but now now that we're all working from home, I kind of miss them. Like, it just kind of be nice for someone to stop by my desk and interrupt me in the middle of an email and, you know, have something to say. So. Yeah, or, or even just the the the, uh, the the nature of interaction of an innovation team. Like we're really creative thinkers, and we'll just find ourselves riffing, you know, across the table. And like, how do you how, how do you um, replicate that? So we've spent months, and we'll continue to spend months uh, trying to kind of translate our thing, our practice, our program uh, in these uh, these remote ways. Um, I, you know, we are getting some benefits that it does force a team to communicate more effectively uh, when you're distributed. Uh, so we're, we're investing a lot of time in that. But from a macro perspective, clearly the businesses of our clients have changed as well. And we do see that COVID is a great accelerator. We knew that a lot of things were going digital uh, and the amount of digital movement there's been in the past six months have just been kind of, uh, you know, uh, excruciatingly fast. Uh, and yep. so, uh, so we're trying to kind of figure out, reforecast where our clients are going to be or need to be based on some of the changes in the marketplace. Um, so, uh, so we're trying to kind of 
re, uh, reorient, recalibrate to say that our clients are in a different world. And as a result, our business stakeholders inside a city are in a different world. Uh, and how do we kind of adapt to that? Uh, so it's just yet another one of these six month reinventions that we have to do. Uh, we're fortunate that that's kind of always been the case. Um, and so we're, we're practiced at kind of reinventing ourselves and not kind of being stuck in how the process used to work. Uh, so uh, I think we, we've adapted uh, very well. Uh, we've got a lot of things that are in play. Uh, City has kind of uh, uh, made it clear that they are absolutely committed to maintaining um, growth um, and uh, staying uh, relevant in the marketplace, despite the fact that this uh, all of this COVID thing has created new internal challenges uh, and a lot of recovery stuff uh, inside of our client bases uh, that we cannot afford uh, to lose um, speed towards our goals of, of growing the business. Absolutely. Uh, so that, that has been resounding uh, from the executive levels of, uh, of City. Uh, and I'm really encouraged by that. Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear. And, I, and you and I are on the same page there. As much as there is, has been a lot of suffering, a lot of negative to come from this year in general, I still have to, you, you have to be somewhat optimistic on some levels, right? And to me, it is specifically in the payments world. It's in with rewards, it's with loyalties, it's the accelerators that have happened based on COVID and the new kind of uh, digital world that we need to live in going forward, right? And whether that is simply, hey, I'm going to use QR codes to download a menu or to pay for my meal, um, online spending. I just, you know, to me, partnerships back in the day with financial institutions, whether it was the, the networks or banks, co-brands, things like that, those, things, those, those deals took multiple years to come to an agreement on. I feel like I saw in the beginning of COVID when it, when everything started to go more more online and the stores unfortunately were still not seeing the influx because they were closed, but all of a sudden you started seeing partnerships to help people to consume the consumer partnerships like um, whether it was a large network with uh, say a big retailer to make sure that those reward points were going you know through uh, if it's with Uber Eats whatever those main things are I mean those those partnerships used to take years to do. Then they were all of a sudden because of COVID taking 30 days because they knew they had to get this partnership through. Everyone was aligned that, hey, this is the end result. This is what, how we're going to help our consumers, our merchants, our, our business partners. And they banded together to get it done. And to me, that's really encouraging to see as well as, uh, I, you know, selfishly, it's a little exciting because that's stuff that I live and breathe every day. And I'm glad to hear that city is going on that same that same yeah. there. And, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, um, uh, acknowledge the fact that it's not just the COVID thing that's changed within the past six months, but the role that racial equality plays inside of financial services uh, is dramatically different. Uh, so we're also really excited to get uh, really positive encouragement from the executive levels of, of city that city needs to and wants to be a different bank uh, and understand what its role in solving for the racial inequality issues. And like we now get to define, well, what does an innovation program get to do with that mandate? Right. How can we kind of change the balance uh, within uh, within society? Uh, you know, ESG has been a trend for years inside of financial services, but it always kind of took on, you know, it was like almost like capital E. 
S, small s, small g. It was all about the environment. And, you know, that continues to be a challenge, obviously. Uh, but the s, the social impact that financial services have, has become increasingly important. Um, and so that's another thing that we're recalibrating. How do we contribute to that goal that city has uh, to kind of change the way that financial services impacts racial equality? Uh, so uh, that's another exciting thing. Always looking for that, uh, that double bottom line um, and trying to figure out how do we do that? Um, and, and why are we um, potentially even better positioned than other groups to actually have an impact on that? Uh, it's an exciting place to be. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we've mentioned it multiple times, the reach, the brand, the ability, the platform that you already have. Um, that is what is a, the biggest positive that comes with large organizations and working with large organizations is the fact that you just have this ability to impact so many people on different levels, multiple levels. Um, and it's uh, not just the opportunity, but the responsibility. So Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned those things. So, so maybe kind of five, some final thoughts. Um, you know, I'm uh, one of the things I became enamored about uh, corporate innovation uh, was um, like, I, I, even though it, it isn't like doing a startup inside a city, uh, it's kind of different than that. It's a different animal. Um, but like, I still have this startup mentality. I want to be a builder of new things, new products, new business lines, new market segments. Uh, when I think what's available to me inside of a corporate innovation program, I get to kind of understand the impact of city's brand and city's reach and city's client base and city's subject matter expertise uh, and sub city systems um, that as a startup guy, that these are amazing assets to try to kind of think about how do I leverage them in order to build something brand new uh, in a way that as a startup guy, I just, just couldn't. You don't have I, the opportunity. I, yeah, you just don't have it. I, I limited capital, limited time, limited runway, limited subject matter expertise, zero brand. Uh, now I'm like in a playground where I've got these things. Uh, and so I think the idea of corporate innovation is kind of changing fairly dramatically. Um, you know, even five years ago, it was mostly what I would consider uh, innovation theater. You know, we did a lot of like sticky note exercises and hiring a, an innovation agency and, um, you know, uh, doing kind of this uh, lean startup kind of training. Um, and, and yet now, like it's far more practiced and yet the demand uh, for this type of practice corporate innovation is far outstripping the supply of people really and groups that are really capable of delivering. Uh, so it's a really exciting place to be. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, um, and again, I appreciate the time today. This has been fantastic um, and just a wonderful uh, opportunity to kind of pick your brain and understand not just city in general, but what it is within the banking world and innovation side that they're doing and how and how we're thinking about things. So. Uh, again, Bob, really appreciate the time today, and uh, I look forward to doing this again. Great. Uh, thanks a lot, Kyle. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right.